0: How do different NBA teams run their practices? Do the head coaches have all the control? Have NBA teams kept up with the latest practice techniques? The only question left is: Say it with me. You win. Hey, sports fans! Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B Ball Breakdown podcast. Today, I am pleased to bring on the show Chris Oliver. Who is the University of Windsor men's basketball coach and the founder of BasketballImmersion.com? Uh, so, Coach, pleasure to have you on. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about today.
1: Great to be here. I'm grateful to be here to be able to share the game with you and uh, all your fans.
0: Cool. Well, for those of you guys who don't know, Chris and I have been talking for a long time about various things. And on his website, he's got a great resource for coaches on everything that you want from practices to, you know, the offenses and everything. And I thought what's kind of cool we started talking about recently was that you had a chance to attend a bunch of NBA practices uh, in and around training camp. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about the differences that you see between teams, or, or the similarities, and then maybe you know I can throw a couple notes in there myself from things that I've seen in the last few years on practice as well. So uh, you know, let's jump in there. I mean, what tell us the teams that you got to you got to uh, visit and watch practice for.
1: Well, it stimulated my idea when I saw that your post and your interview with Steve Kerr, which was outstanding. And, uh, you know, you obviously got to see firsthand how they practiced and, uh, you know, how they interacted with each other. And uh, as we know, as coaches, it goes beyond just technical and tactical when you get a chance to see a practice. And I had a chance to see two practices with the Cleveland Cavaliers, two practices with the Milwaukee Bucks. Two practices with the Indiana Pacers and then a few practices with the Detroit Pistons. And, you know, I feel that especially important was that I got to see more than just one practice with each team. So you got a chance to see, like, if one of those practices was a little lighter, the next one would be a little bit more competitive five on five. And I think I got a little bit better feel for how they're trying to do things and how they approach things in terms of that.
0: So I guess we often know is do the Cavs work on transition defense at all?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the practices that I saw, I mean, it's pretty stereotypical, I think, probably what you saw as well in terms of practices at the NBA level. And, you know, some type of pre-practice was uh, shooting or work with an assistant coach. And then usually they got into walkthrough and then uh, some type of warm up uh, with a staff member in terms of the physical warm up, dynamic warm up. And then usually from there, some full Full court warm up drill or three man weave or five ball shooting, which uh, we can circle back to because I'd love to talk about that. And then some type of full court competitive, then, you know, defensive drill. And then all the practices I saw had station work as well. Uh, which was, you know, probably something that you would see a little bit more at that level because they clearly have a lot of staff on the court as well, a lot of coaches that uh, have a lot of expertise to offer. So I thought that was interesting. And then from there, 5-0 repetition, scrimmage, and then post-practice was some type of, uh, you know, block. Block shooting repetitions and work with assistant coaches. So somewhere in there, some of the practices I saw some transition defense, but uh, I did not see that with Cleveland. Now, in fairness, I did see them the second day they started practice, so maybe they covered that the first day.
0: Maybe. Now, uh, what's interesting is you said you saw a lot of, um, oh my goodness, what would you say? You saw uh, you know individual training um, in um, I, you know what? My, my mind is mush uh, in the beginning. It, like you'll see them doing really basic fundamental drills, right?
1: yeah pre-practice uh, pre-practice shooting uh, and some work with assistant coaches uh, in terms of some type of development. and yeah. uh, you know, it just I guess a focus specifically on the individual player, which uh, you know I think is important. I mean, at that level, I mean, the individual player wants to get better. It's not just about the team. they want to individually get better. and you know that's an individual motivation to continue their career and excel at their career. And uh, you mm-hmm. know I think that was particularly important to note. and uh, you know the, there was a lot of work pre and post practice in that area. Um, and I think post practice was more repetitions of shooting whereas pre practice was a little bit more, you know, uh, cuts off of uh, different sequences or whatever it may be.
0: Sure, it's funny because when I, I've seen them do that where they'll do really basic stuff like inside out dribble, maybe there's a coach pushing them or whatever and they, they go through cones and do kind of passing. And I find that kind of funny because like you know, in training camp practices are a little bit different than when you're in the regular season, when they're like you know all hell is breaking loose. They don't have time to do a lot of stuff. So I just found it kind of funny that they they decided to start the season doing those because having knowing they'll never do them again after that, and it's almost just like they're kind of doing it to do it, knowing that I would imagine most of those players, if not all the players, on their own are doing. Their individual work. Everyone's got their own coach now, and so I found it funny they they would take the time to do, you know, station work uh, on skills. Were you seeing a lot of that too, like dribbling stuff?
1: I I didn't see a lot of pylon stuff, but again, I think because it was early in the practice phase, that a lot of those practices were introducing the main team concepts. But I I know totally what you're talking about. I had a chance this summer to watch Sam Remy train uh, a few players in uh, Florida. And, uh, what I learned, uh, through that and through talking to some of the NBA assistant coaches in particular was that these guys travel throughout the year and work out with the players, you know, on an individual basis. And, you know, it sounds like NBA teams are very welcoming in that way that, uh, they're, you know, they they have an open door policy to any player's trainer and, uh, You know, and that's part of that process that probably happens, uh, you know, in these hours outside of practice for an individual player. But uh, in terms of on the court, I mean, it definitely all the skill work tended to be more geared towards the offensive development of the player or in some cases, some some walkthrough pre-practice with some of the uh, newcomers to the team in terms of some of the system stuff or defensive stuff with the defensive coordinator or another coach that way. So there's definitely some attention to detail that they're trying to focus on, but I saw less of kind of that uh, stereotypical type of individual cone work or different stuff like that.
0: Um, well, what percentage would you say how it breaks down from offense versus defense and how they're working on that?
1: Uh, By and large, all offense, by and large, all offense. And, uh, you know, and again, it could be, uh, it's not a judgment. It could be more just the the practice phase I saw. But uh, certainly in terms of Milwaukee and Detroit, there was a lot more balance, I thought, in terms of the offense versus defense. And, uh, you know, Cleveland, as particularly the one practice I saw was mainly on air. And uh, they told me that had something to do with the players association, that when you practice two a days, that one of those practices has to be Uh, Not not competitive. So you can't scrimmage in the one practice, which again, I I found interesting. I I don't know the rule and uh, but they had one practice was basically offensive repetitions and walkthrough and then the second practice. They had more competitive, uh, you know, five on five type of scrimmages and stuff stuff like that. And and that was another interesting phase was how they how they competed in practice. And, uh, you know, I think the the mindset of some fans is maybe a little different than the reality. In terms of how players approach practice at the NBA level, and I, I saw a lot of commitment to the craft and a lot of, you know, commitment to improvement from all players and. You know, at no point did I see any coach interact in a negatively negative way with a player. Mm-hmm. You know, everything was, was very positive in terms of coaching and development and, uh, you know, really focusing on uh, being demanding without being demeaning. And, and uh, you know, that was great to see. And that's what you would expect at that level, that uh, it shouldn't take a lot of motivation to be able to get those players excited to be able to develop.
0: Sure. Well, let's get some observations you had specifically about, you know, the head coaches because I'm curious – you know, when you're watching Milwaukee's Milwaukee Bucks practice, you know, is Jason Kidd running the entire thing? Is he really vocal out there? Is he, you know, commanding all these different things or are the assistants helping out? How does that dynamic work?
1: Well, a lot of the coaches definitely delegated uh, in the three practices outside of Detroit. Uh, Stan Van Gundy definitely was very involved in a lot of the coaching. Uh, but at the other three practices, there was a lot of delegation. Uh, I believe that uh, of those uh, three, uh, of those four teams, three of those teams have designated defensive coordinators as well where sean sweeney at um at milwaukee uh, he did a lot of the defensive stuff but i think he's designated as such so that was his responsibility and and coach um coach kid was very empowering i thought to his staff as well which again i would hope that would be part of the benefit of coaching at the nba level if uh, you're a head coach you have really qualified people to delegate to but but definitely uh coach kid was very involved uh in the practice and uh you know in in terms of uh I guess the main question that you get back to is, how much stopping and starting was there within practice to actually provide feedback to players? And that's something I'm always interested in as a coach because I'm a big believer that uh, feedback, by and large, especially in a development phase of a practice, needs to be immediate. And uh, giving, pra- giving feedback you know, after three up and downs, or giving feedback after 10 minutes of a scrimmage isn't that impactful. So it was interesting to see that a lot of the teams, uh, you know, with the exception of the Pistons, let their players play with very little feedback within within the game or or within the scrimmage or within the competitive drill. And, uh, you know, whereas in Detroit, they tended to stop it and correct it immediately and then move on. And, uh, you know, it all comes back to philosophy as a coach. But certainly I was more in line with that in terms of my view of how players learn. Totally. And I know that
0: everyone would be better off if they learn about me undies. I mean this when I say they will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you'll ever wear. The material is three times softer than cotton with an incredible selection of styles and patterns to choose from. Can you tell from my voice that I'm wearing my pink me undies right now? Hmm? The second you slip these babies on, you'll know what I mean. And they've got them for men and women, if that's your thing. For a limited time, you can even buy a glow-in-the-dark print called Lights Out, and I can think of a few worthwhile uses for such a thing. And if you visit MeUndies.com coach CoachNick, you'll get 20% off your order, and they also have socks. The shipping is free, the fabric is soft, and your life will improve. So head over to MeUndies.com slash CoachNick for 20% off and move through life in the cloud of soft support. Right, and so I'm just, just so I'm clear, so you didn't see no one stopping right away to make a teaching point in the middle of a scrimmage.
1: Right, and there's no definitives here. There's no no ones. It was, by and large, there was very little stopping mm-hmm. at uh, the Pacers practice, at the um, Bucks practice, or at the, uh, at the Cleveland practice, in terms of the flow of the practice. And I actually got a chance to ask all three uh, different staffs a question about that about scrimmaging and why they didn't stop it and give feedback and and their response and maybe this has something to do with the fact because they all alluded to it that all three of those coaches were former players and that they liked it when practice flowed without stopping whereas coach Van Gundy's obviously a coach who's developed through coaching ranks more than as a player and that uh, you know his mindset is more that uh, we've got to stop and correct and then we've got to move on and uh, You know, they said that the, you know, in the scrimmages, they wanted it to flow. Um, and, And from what I understand of a scrimmage, if it truly is a scrimmage from an evaluation standpoint, then that's absolutely a benefit to just let it flow. You're sitting back, you're evaluating your team, you're evaluating what you need to work on, what you need to develop. But if there's actually a focus on improvement and development of certain things that you've coached within the body of the practice, then you need to hold your players accountable to those things. And that's definitely what I saw more with the Pistons' practice in terms of them stopping it and holding them accountable to something they taught in a drill previously.
0: Okay. Now, and I guess that does uh, uh, talk to uh, attention to detail a little bit. And I felt like, do you feel like there was a wide range between those teams of how uh, how closely attentive they were to the details of the offense and spacing and timing and movement?
1: Incredibly, incredibly different for sure. Ah, okay. And uh, you know, and and that had... You know, I think uh, I think we sometimes assume that the NBA is a little bit of a cookie-cutter league in terms of everyone does the same thing, everyone uses the same terminology. And and I didn't see that. I saw a lot of different terminology for the same thing. I saw a lot of different approaches um, in terms of, you know, philosophies. I mean, certainly Indiana was trying to play through the post a little bit more, uh, which is counter to kind of the modern game. With the, But, you know, they have Miles Turner inside, so they were trying to do some stuff to be able to play through him, whereas most of the other teams were more... You know a little bit more pace and space although the Pistons certainly aren't uh, playing with much pace But um, it it was is definitely difference in terms of the approach and the attention to detail Um, and uh, You know, I guess the other thing that really came through is that uh, you know, it just There there wasn't a great balance I thought between stopping and starting practice, you know, to in terms of actually coaching And I relate this back to I once saw an NCAA coach run a practice where they spent 10 minutes on a closeout drill and every mistake that a player made in the closeout drill, the whole team had to run. And then when I saw them scrimmage later for about 15 minutes of practice, not one time did I see that player actually apply what the coach was trying to well hold them accountable in the drill. And it makes you wonder, well, why did you do the drill if you're not going to hold them accountable in the game?
0: Well, it, and, it also makes you wonder how running sprints helps you improve your closeouts.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I'm on board there. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm not a big fan of, you know, and I didn't see a lot of punishment nor anything like that in the NBA practices. Although certainly they did a few time drills, you know, where I saw, you know, the traditional time drill or, uh, and, and this comes back to five ball uh, shooting, which is. You go three-man weave down the floor, a player shoots the ball uh, on a layup, and then the other two players get a pass from the baseline, and they each shoot a three. And then the you know, the three on the baseline go the other way, and it's a progressive drill that keeps going like that, three-man weave, and everyone gets to shoot. Well, in I, I believe the Milwaukee Bucks did it for four minutes, and they had to reach a certain score. If they didn't reach the score, then the whole team ran, and they didn't reach it, they repeated the drill. And it was just fascinating to see that because I think, by and large, when you come back to a lot of the skill acquisition and learning literature, that uh, you know a lot of the what that drill does doesn't transfer to performance. So, you know, why are they doing it? Is my question. And you know, right? We, well, we, I, we,
0: <laughs> I could tell you why uh, yeah. they're doing it because that's what their coach did when they were playing, especially the ex-players. And I think that's an interesting thing that we've discovered with these ex-players, and of a certain era. So I would probably put Nate Nate McMillan in the same genre of coach as uh, Sam Mitchell, Byron Scott, right? These guys all played around the same time, and that was when uh, this was just the tail end of what I – get. we have to come up with a name for it, the paleo coaching whatever era (laughs) from about 19 – 60 to 1995, or maybe it feels like nothing changed in coaching as far as how you organize your practices and what the drills you ran and how we look at the game, and maybe even later than that, because I feel like the explosion of what we've discovered recently is, is much more recent. But um, would you put Nate McMillan? I mean, by the way, Jason Kidd is on the tail end of that kind of genre or that that era as well, because um, I'm sure you know th- that's what I find interesting is that I feel like these guys. Um, I don't know if they're going to a lot of coaching clinics and getting any kind of cutting edge stuff. Uh, I mean, I've been to my share. I've never seen anybody there into the you know, big ones, and maybe they're speaking at them. They don't actually listen to the other people speaking. So, I mean, I guess that's my concern. And, and just to throw us out there, like the reason why I'm, I'm kind of negative on a guy like Sam Mitchell because he was very candid in a couple of these interviews he's had over the years. And you could hear that he just seems frustrated with young players coming in these days who don't have the kind of fundamentals that he had coming out of college for four years. And he expresses the frustration while he's coaching. I have no doubt that that was going on. And the players are going to turn off in two seconds of feeling that. And I really kind of feel like Nate McMillan, I don't know if he's the same way, but did you get a feeling of, of that at all when you were watching them practice?
1: 100%. So, you know, there were a few stretches where players were doing 5-on-0 repetitions of offense for about 20 minutes. 20 and, minutes? 20 minutes. And... You know, at one point I looked at the Cleveland, one of the Cleveland lineups had uh, Calderon, Corver, uh, Jeff Green, um, who else was involved in that? And, 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 you know, five guys that combined experiences over 40 years of NBA experience. Okay. And, and what we know and what basically my obsession with is that uh, like nothing they did in that 20 minutes stimulates their thinking and nothing that they did in that time increases their enjoyment of practice improves their retention or increases their transfer of the skills and decisions that the coach was teaching to games and that's that's proven by you know skill acquisition leader uh you know evidence that goes back you know well well before these coaches started coaching this isn't new And uh, it speaks to your point, which is, uh, you know, how are these coaches learning some of these things? Well, I think the NBA has obviously made incredible strides in terms of their advancement of analytics or advancement of human performance and, you know, tracking of wearable technology and different things like that. But what I saw in these practices and all the other practices that I've attended through the last few years is that there's been no improvement in actually applying learning theory and skill acquisition knowledge to NBA practices or NNCA practices by and large. And uh, I think that's what was unique about the Pistons practice is that I would say for the most part, everything they did was more game-like and everything they did was more offense versus defense, Um, you know, which, again, transfers the important information to a game, um, which is – kind of as a coach, I think what we should be focusing on in terms of advancing our players.
0: And that makes a lot of sense. You know, I was a, a basketball manager, a student manager at Wisconsin and coach Van Gundy was the assistant at that time there for two years. So uh, I, he, he really, that he definitely seemed progressive in the way he approached the game. So I, I'm not surprised to hear that his practices are like that, which is great. Um, and, and again, uh, I've been to plenty of practices where you're, where you're right. There just seems to be a, a lack of, I think that the, a lot of times they feel like they're so good you know that they're, you know the ball throwing the ball out there that that actually that typical thing you hear about high school coaches oh we're going to throw the ball out let them play uh, but I think that actually becomes more uh, prevalent in um, in in the NBA and the thing I find funny was with I'm looking through Giannis's stuff I just did a big breakdown of him and I was right. watching the game last night and he's incredible he's scoring all these points but the thing I found really interesting about like their offense for instance is that um, and, I, and I actually quoted this out and tweeted on Twitter where they they it's they're lack they're having trouble with spacing but it's not because they don't have shooters it's because the way they're moving off ball is all bunched up there's no detail there and i it's weird because I, I don't normally see that usually easy enough so like were you watching the bucks practices and, and were they obviously i think you said they, they probably aren't going to blow the whistle immediately and say hey you need to be on the wing instead of in the
1: mid post area are they do- They're not are they doing that kind of stuff no there's very little development without correction And, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of correction. There wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, those situations as you're saying that, hey, you're not in the right spot. We need to focus on this and then why we need to focus on this. And I think as a coach that's so important and you can't be afraid, especially early on in the season, to stop your players and, again, hold them accountable to what you want to have happen. And they're not going to learn just by rolling out the balls. They need feedback, whether that's feedback through the use of questions to stimulate their thinking or whether it's the use of, you know, you providing them the information. I mean, I generally come back to these two things. When I look at a drill and I say, is it game-like and will it transfer skills to performance? And, and we know that like a three-man weave, and again, this is not judgment of the three-man weave. If you use it, it's great. But it, it doesn't really transfer anything to a game. And that's what I guess I look at the NBA and I say, well, it definitely doesn't transfer to, uh, anything to a player at that level. Because right. they're well beyond that in terms of their expertise, and you could argue three-man weave is great for a new learner. You know, it's their initial learning of the game, and it's a movement skill and all that. But once you get to the NBA level, I mean, the decision is harder than the skill. The decision is harder than the skill, and that's what you're talking about with Giannis. It's like his development is not skill-based at this point. Is although obviously his shooting needs improvement and different things like that. There's minimal development in terms of his skill. At, but what's really can improve is, is decision making. And I think that's where we miss the boat a lot as coaches is that we focus so much on technique and skill, but we don't focus enough on actually decisions. And the only way to truly, truly stimulate decisions is to put them in a situation where they have the distracting information that exists in a game and the visual cues that are present in a game. And that doesn't happen if it's on air. You need yeah. offense versus defense,
0: which is why I reacted so uh, surprised when you told me they ran 20 minutes of five-on-zero offense. Because, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, I, I can compare this to what I've seen in the Warriors' practices, which could very well be skewed because obviously they're, they're the best team in the world. And they, they sort of, you know, they are. And and you can argue that it doesn't matter what they would do in practice because they are so good. But um, I will tell you this, a couple different things, let me ask you this. Did you see anybody, did, did they go through film before the practice started?
1: So I asked the coaches some of that because my exposure to you know more video and everything is through hard knocks and then the NFL where they re- really show you what happens at a training camp and I honestly didn't know what they do off the court in an NBA practice. I've only been to the practice, I haven't been to the video, but I did ask them if they do film and video and they do, they said they do do that. Um, You know off the court, but I am definitely curious how much they do at at that point and then whether they have those uh, Meetings where they do terminology where they do covering you know different situations and different things like that because the other thing I saw a lot was about a 15 minute phase Maybe a little bit longer that was walked through at the beginning of practice prior to the start of their you know dynamic warm-up phase and again what I know is that essentially in those situations even if there's 10 players on the floor, there's five to 10 off the floor that are just standing there for about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that that does not impact learning. That doesn't, I mean, no matter what you do. And uh, that was another thing. I mean, the 5-on-0 reps, okay, fine, you're going to do 5-on-0 reps, but there's still a better way to do 5-on-0 reps to be able to maximize a player's time on task. And I saw some NBA teams that had two beautiful courts and they would have one group of five go there and back on the on one court, while the fifteen other players just stood off on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, there's different ways to do it, but you could have teams cycle around the two courts. You could have it, you know, teams go cross court. If you only had one court, you could have one group of five go one way, while the other group goes the other way, and creates kind of some intentional chaos. You know, but anything other than just five and zero with one group going and everyone else watching. Because yeah. you know they're not getting anything out of that experience,
0: right? Right. Um, and so, okay. Because the, the Warriors, you know, they start every practice with film on the court. They have a the whole thing set up there, so they literally can watch for, and it's not long. You know, as a full group, they don't go that long. And then it's maybe seven, eight minutes of video, maybe, maybe even less. And they make their points. They put up the stuff in, with graphics on the screen while they're talking, uh, very you know quickly. But everyone together on the court, and they can get right on the court and actually start doing what they've been talking about. The other thing they do, though, which I I think we've already answered, was that they will do a full uh, defensive skill work, uh, you know, skills and drills for 25 minutes every practice, no matter what,
1: no matter what, no matter how long the practice is. Was that offense versus defense? No,
0: they have they have very specific and awesome defensive closeout drills and rotational drills that you it's funny because at one point i'm like you know that doesn't that looks like it doesn't look really like game like situation to me the way they're doing these things and then sure enough that night they had the exact same rotation and closeout that they did in that drill. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, I, I guess I had never seen that really, but now I'll see it every time. Um, and, and so Ron Adams who runs that he's the defensive guy. Um, I mean, he gets his 25 minutes every practice. Like they might have a practice that only goes 50 minutes and he'll get his 25 just on defense alone. It, it speaks volumes to me. Um, you know, the one thing that we, we both lack, I, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen a Popovich practice. Have you?
1: No, unfortunately, no. But, uh, you know, that would be something, I mean, there's a number of coaches that I think might do things differently from, from my viewpoint, but I, I don't know. Again, without being there, it's really hard to evaluate a coach in my right. opinion. And, uh, you know, that's ultimately it. And, and even then, like, you know, I say coach Van Gundy did the best job, but that doesn't mean his team's going to be the most successful of that, that, that group of four, obviously, because right. ultimately it comes back to, you know, personnel and, uh, you know, clearly having a Giannis is, is going to make you a better coach. And that's, <laughs> right. that's still the blueprint for success. And uh, so, so when you talked about the Warriors doing video like that, I love that. I mean, some of the NBA teams look like they were set up to be able to do video right there on the court. And I'm not, I'm not here saying they didn't do it previ- or before, but when you say they did video and they went right to applying those concepts, did they walk through them or did they do them within a drill work? immediately afterwards?
0: Yeah, usually they would do it that way. I mean, although I have to think that in in training camp, um, as I'm thinking about it now, they would talk about the concepts and then they would do their warm-up stuff for a few minutes and then but then they would get into it and they would do but they do the breakdown stuff so they do the three on zero and three on three stuff which i think is really important because when you're talking about offense it's really three players are usually involved in the scoring uh and then the other two on the weak side or whatever's happening and you get a lot more reps that way and they will mix it up where they make the guys play with different players too which i thought was interesting too to kind of get some familiarity to breed team you know team otherwise if you're always playing your starters together then you kind of i know you want to develop that chemistry quote unquote but you also want to develop a team right right?
1: Thank you. What a great, what a great observation. And I, I observed that the same way. And I got frustrated almost watching, you know, some of the players that might be 10 through 15, uh, never getting a chance to play with some of the better players and, and really never mixing any of the lineups the whole time I was there. And I thought that was confusing because, again, we know that part of the NBA, you know, l- lifestyle is that you're going to play so many games. You're going to play back to backs. You're going to play these crazy schedules. And now you've got to make sure that you're, you're constantly uh, shifting your lineups, changing your lineups, you got to play with different players, and yeah, I didn't see much mixing. And uh, you know, I'm definitely a big believer of that in terms of our practices. I- we try and constantly mix. And if anything, I don't make teams at all. So our players make their own teams and get a chance to lead each other and have different lineups every day because you never know who you got to play together. Right. That's and, a good observation.
0: And the camaraderie also, because like a, a, the, the 14th man would end up making an awesome play and scoring and they just, they celebrate that. That's really, and then you kind of see that resulting on the bench in a game if he's in and he does it right. You kind of, that's all been developed in the practices. It's not like, it's almost not spontaneous in the games because it's that same thing that developed because you know, Steph will throw, um, you know, gosh, Mcadoo a pass, and he dunks it, or whatever. And they're all like, you know, they, they, they get excited about that, and that's that's what's so great. I, I know in, in Steve Kerr's interview with me, we talked a little bit about that notion of, you know, yeah, he could just run pick and roll with KD and Steph every single time, but that's going to get uh, Draymond and uh, Clay just standing there for the whole, whole possession, you know, just waiting for the ball to maybe come to them every fifth time, and uh, that's the that, that's what doesn't make for good. Um, you know what's what did he use he said um you know good energy but also uh you know the uh you want to have morale on your team high and that's you know you want to feel like you're part of it
1: yeah and i've seen NCAA teams practice in particular where the the walk-ons and the non-scholarship players or the guys that aren't in the rotation just stand there the whole practice or they end up being you know just dummy players or you know passers or different things like that and exactly what you said like how is that interesting and how is that engaging and how does that help your team build its morale and its cohesion it doesn't it, it H- how about doesn't. this
0: i've seen those practices where the assistants don't do anything either they're standing there <laughs> alongside those guys and they can't do uh-huh. anything in the coach so i won't name names and by the way we're not yeah. here to crap on you know coaches no, no. Uh, and that's the thing, to get back to the Sam Mitchell thing about the frustration, I, I've said this before, people maybe have heard this on the podcast before, but you know, rather than express frustration at a player who doesn't know how to uh, properly pivot you know, on the right side of the floor... And I'm because because I think what happens is he goes, what, what? Who did no one taught you this? What's wrong? Why, how can you not know this? Instead, it's you got to be coming at, the, at it like this is the first time you're going to watch Star Wars, right? That's how exciting yes. it is. I'm going to show you something you haven't seen before. This is amazing, and you're going to love it. Like, that's what it needs to be. Uh, and that could very well be for a pivot or a footwork thing, or it could be an offense, like oh my god, you haven't ever won Zipper in an offense. This is great. Like, this rookie who's coming in, this you know, yeah. this would be really fun. You're going to love it, and we're going to, you know, so I think it's that kind of thing that you have to be. Be very careful with, and I, I have to imagine the younger coaches coming in uh, have a better sense of that versus that. The Byron Scott, Sam Mitchell, you know, Nate McMillan guys who you know we saw Byron Scott torture uh, D'Angelo Russell on purpose mm. in, in wow. that his rookie year. He did it on purpose, he thought he was making him a tougher player.
1: Well, you know, and I'm sure you do this too. Like, you sit there as an observing coach, and I'm part of the fun of going to these practices is that I put myself in the shoe of the coach and say, what would I do if I was coaching this team and how would they respond to my methodology and my approach? And I know that my methodology and my approach would be very different than what a traditional player has come up with in terms of block practice, on air drills, you know, not as much competitive, and then obviously incorporating concepts like random and variable practice rather than doing the block repetitions of shooting. And, and I think, again, I think by and large these guys are, are professionals who wanna get better. So that if you can somehow convince them you know, the why, which is obviously part of what Golden State has probably done, you know, to a phenomenal letter is just, level, is just convince them the why. You know, the why should we defend as a group? Why should we play together? Why should we share the ball? Why should we try and lead the league in number of passes per game? You know, all those different whys are the part that ultimately I think as coaches and as fans that, um, you know, maybe we don't see behind the scenes. But those are the things that I think make teams most successful, even more than scheme.
0: Right, and and, and he, what you have to focus in on that I think is is the process because, like you said, Stan Van Gundy had the most attention to detail, and so yeah, when no, he's, he's running sure his practices and he's trying to, um, you know, get it, get it what he's trying to get through, you know, he, they might not make all those shots, but you you can see the execution in what they're doing. So the a fan or the person who doesn't see deeply into what uh, the Detroit Pistons are doing simply says, "Oh, they're one and three; they stink." When in reality they're getting really good shots, they're just not going. It's a make or miss league, like they talk about all the time here, and um, and you have to be able to notice that uh, and see see that for what it is. And that's sort of what you have to embrace as a coach. I think what we're also going through as far as um, as uh, you know. We're not. If you get too caught up in the results at any level, then the emotions become too much of a problem, and I think that's another issue. So, like Brad Stevens ends up being the poster child, I imagine. Right? Uh, Have you ever had a chance to see him, Coach?
1: I have not, but I would be very interested. And uh, you know, I've I've talked to some people that have been, uh, you know, involved in his staff. One of his managers actually works with the Pistons as a uh, video coordinator, and we talked about that. And uh, T.J. Saints. Yeah, T.J. St. and and does an outstanding job with the Pistons, and uh, you know just a phenomenal learner. And you know I love being around, and I'm sure you do too. But I love being around coaches, and that's part of what the benefit of what I've done with basketball immersion, and I'm sure what you've done too is that I love being around learners. Yeah. and people that are you know engaged in their learning and they want to be active participants in their learning and tj is a great example of that and charles class with the detroit pistons they've been outstanding in terms of my learning curve at the nba level sure but uh you know he talked about uh you know definitely it seemed to be that uh, coach stevens approached it from more of a small-sided games approach and you know like you said a breakdown you know of offense where it's a three-on-oh three-on-three type situation and You know, anyone that's read any of my stuff knows I'm a huge fan of small sided games. And, uh, you know, I believe that's where your true development takes place, whether it's in a five on five or a three on three or a four on four. That's where you can really break down the situations in a game like way that actually transfers to performance. And, uh, you know, I I would love to see if he he does that at the NBA level, because here's the question, coach. And this would be applying to what you saw with the different practices, too, is when I leave those practices, I come away and say, okay, I believe my concepts could work. However, the balance is always the workload versus the development. And there's a conscious effort, I'm sure, to lower the workload of certain players within practice, within you know, training, because you know how many minutes they're going to play. Mm-hmm. So you know, were they doing that with Golden State? Were there, were there certain players that had a lower workload, uh, you know, whether it's the Durants and the Stars or different things like that?
0: You know, I never. I always saw you know Durant and Curry doing everything. You know, I never saw them sitting out. You know, um, you know. So they all they all did it. They all treated it. Here's the thing. I think people don't understand is these practices look very similar to the college practices you're going to go to. You know, I have to tell you, I don't want to toot my own homework, but my high school practices looked a lot like we did a lot of the same drills. And I was, I always think that's great. It's like, hey, I ran that drill. Like whenever I see them do it, like it feels like I some weird connection. Because you know, let's, there is a finite amount of knowledge and theory, and there's a finite amount of drills you can run. Well, actually, let's not say there's a finite amount of knowledge, but there is <laughs> right, certainly yeah. like you know, these drills are there are all iterations of each other, and so it's not like you, you, there you know, there's all this whole. I think people had a big, hard time when I first started doing this because I would say I was a high school coach. And the, the reaction was always, well, you don't know anything. You just coach at the high school level. And clearly the guys who are in the NBA know everything and know the most because they're in the NBA. And, again, we're not here to, to uh, you know, to, to crap on anybody or make them, you know, small or whatever. But we're just – I, I like to point out that, like, some of the best coaching is, like, at your level or at these like, – you know, what would you say – are you Division Three? Would that be what
1: you are? Well, it's hard to distinguish. I mean, there's only one division in Canada, but we beat, we beat all levels of, of American teams. Like we beat division ones, we beat division twos, we beat division threes, but we've lost all levels of those too, (laughs) because there's obviously, as you just said, there's really good teams at all levels uh, of basketball and there's really good coaches at all levels of basketball. But, uh, you know, you're, you're bang on in the sense that, uh, I think we have an obsession with celebrity coaches and, they are not necessarily the best teachers. They're not necessarily the best coaches. Often the celebrities are the ones with the best players and that's how they become celebrities because they're successful. You know, I think there's certainly exceptions to that and I, I certainly wouldn't name names, but like I've been to some big time division one practices from celebrity coaches and I'm just walking oh, I away. hear you. you know, there there's absolutely nothing there that I take away. That's uh, that's going to help what I do already. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, that your practices are very similar. And uh, I would say in a lot of contexts, my practices are very similar, too. But I think the context, it, it it only varies, is that we go we go almost immediately to offense versus defense and do very little on air. And, and, and that's more of a progression that coaches go through as the season progresses. But I would do that from day one where we don't do any on-air drills.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because, like, what I used to do is start out with a triangle offense, two on zero, three on zero for for a week, you know, and not put defense on it, thinking we wanted to really master the patterns. And what I discovered was my teams would start out slow in every game. And eventually, you know, midway through the first quarter, we kind of wake up and start playing better. And I'm convinced – that it was because I didn't make those two and three line drills you know, with defense on them early enough. And I, I think I eventually did and I would, but it wasn't a, a stress until my last year. And um, it was frustrating because I can still remember maybe the first or second, maybe the second year I was coaching this last time. And we had a great practice, a great drill where I, I just threw out defense randomly. I'm like, all right, just let's play some defense on this drill. And it was such a great, it was so good. And it had everything, it had competition, the kids were learning, they were figuring things out. And it, it took me uh, six more months, to, and I never forgot it, but it took me six months to say, wait a minute, we need to redo that and actually make it a staple of what we're doing. And now I can't say it enough. Uh, and, you know, and I think the, the fear is that coaches will are, fear, are afraid that Bobby Knight's going to walk in and see this chaotic mess going on and think that these guys know what he's doing, when in fact that's the learning going on.
1: Oh, it's so true, and you have to be okay with the mess, and you have to be okay with it being ugly, and that's learning. Everything's bad before it's good, and it's okay to be messy. And and what we do know is that basketball is a game where no skill is executed two times the same way. Right. So technique is tactically and context specific. So if we're practicing it in isolation, it's not going to transfer. So you, you coming to that conclusion and saying, hey, listen, even though we might struggle a little bit early in terms of how we execute, having the defense there gives them the context right away that's going to be transferring to the game. And I cannot encourage coaches enough. If you're, if you're afraid of going, say, from 5-on-0 to 5-on-5, five five, just go 5-on-1. Adding, <laughs> one, adding one live defender or two live defenders completely changes the context of running an offensive play. All of a sudden, you've got more game-like passes, you've got more game-like decisions, and you've got more game-like timing. Because I remember one of my players in one of my exit interviews. It was my my third year of coaching, and I asked a player. I said, "What what thing did you find the least stimulating about practice?" He goes, "Coach, there's nothing less interesting than 5-0 inbound. Like there's nothing more boring than 5-0 inbound." And you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. 5-0 yeah. inbound is boring. So yeah. how do we you know how do we train it? Well, we we had two or three live defenders right away. That can do anything and take away anything because at least now you're you're stimulating some type of decision that goes along with you learning the pattern. And that's an important part of the process. And uh, you know, and again, uh, it comes back to the NBA practices where you watch and you go, really, does Jose Calderon need 15 minutes of 5-on-0?
0: No, I mean, no. he
1: could pick up anything. You diagram it, he could run it. Oh, you know, but yeah.
0: The Warriors literally would put a new set in, five on zero, they do it like two times. And then they go yeah. out and they run it perfectly that night in the game, but the work had already been done. That's, I think, the point there is. It's not like, like, you know, oh, they're the only team that could do that, but because they had already done all that work with all their skilled work, I mean, they do all that stuff in the beginning, and the and the, con- the conceptual part of it, then they can easily put it together later very quickly, uh, and then get into the five-on-five. I mean, it's without question, it, it's, it's imp- it, uh, imperative. Even the six, seven-year-olds that I coached my son at the, at the YMCA in Hollywood, like, I was all concerned. They couldn't barely catch. They couldn't really dribble, and finally after a few weeks of like just doing all like, stationary drills I'm like no we're going to play two on two and three on three and it looked like a bomb had dropped on that court but you know what they started playing a lot better in those games you know because they taught themselves a little bit more than me sitting here yakking my, my brains out
1: no question coaches are obsessed with the perfect practice and I would argue that if, if, you, if your team is doing something perfect they're not learning anymore and the same thing applies to a drill if the if you're doing the same drill in the middle of the year or the end of the year that you doing that you did at the beginning of the year then you're not improving like you're not you're not adding anything new you're adding not adding a layer of challenge and there's no greater challenge than live defense and uh you know and you've got to get there and it's got to be ugly and i'm okay with the ugly you know we're ugly right away and i'm okay with it but i get that some coaches that's more of a progression but uh i i just think as a as a coaching world we do too much on too much on air. We do too many drills that don't transfer, and we do too much on air without uh, without defense or without live offense yeah. versus defense. And,
0: and by the way, I've had coaches argue with me that they want to start every one of their practices all year long with the same drills. And I, I don't know, I just, I can't do that. My, I want, I need, you know, to break it up and otherwise, because people think, oh, it's it's, uh, it's uh, reassuring. They know every every practice is going to start the same way. But to me, it's just like, you just you tune out after a week of doing that. And uh, it, even if you put defense into those drills. So uh, I'm always that guy that's always trying to just mix it up, stir it up. Uh, you know, even with the Warriors and their film sessions, they always have something funny in their film awesome. sessions as well. They'll stick something in there. And with, uh, you know, even if you're at the high school level with the technology, it's not hard to like do some editing. Or some fun stuff, and anybody can kind of do that now. Um, so it's really important. And you know, you, you can, you know, Phil Jackson's fingerprints are all over that. You know, I think Brian McCormick's fingerprints are all over our discussion right now as far as talking about fundamentals. Um, but we got to talk about, yeah, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, I mean, you're right. I mean, th- everything that I try and do, ultimately, in terms of deciding what we're going to run, deciding how we're going to practice, what drill we're going to do in practice, comes back to player satisfaction. I want my players to enjoy the experience of practicing because a certain amount of practice, no matter what we do as coaches, is monotonous and boring Mm -hmm. because it's repetition, Mm -hmm. right? And if you're doing the same thing every day, then there's no question that's not interesting to the players. But how about for the coach? I think what coaches forget all the time, and I get in these discussions sometimes on Twitter too, is that coaching is about your development too. So where's your room for experimentation? Where's your room for trying something? And you and I have probably tried drills before. We went in and we tr- thought this was the greatest drill in the world. This is going to solve a problem. And it's a disaster. And it's a great, <laughs> great learning experience for you as a coach yeah. to try things sometimes and learn from them, whether it's a set or a play or different things like that. And that, that, that learning and failure process is important for a coach just as much as it's for a player. And if I was to say one thing I, I believe about our Canadian game and about you know, the FIBA game and the international game is – I just find there's a lot more creativity, and whether it's the high stakes that exist in the NCAA or, you know, in the NBA, but there tends to be a lot more repetition of the same thing over and over again. Um, as you said, it goes back to generations of coaches that have done it before, so we're going to do it. Whereas I think because we have less pressure, maybe, we, we're able to try and experiment and you know, I coached a thousand games, I think, before I coached my first university game. And that's because I coached all levels of basketball while I was an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. So I got to try stuff and I just go in and every day it was like, I'm going to try this going to see if it works. If it doesn't work. And you get to form a philosophy by doing that.
0: OK, bef- we have to get into this. I got to talk to you about the Cleveland Cavaliers practices. I got to know, uh, don't throw anybody under the bus. Who coaches the team?
1: So, um you know, definitely the assistant coaches were very involved. Tai Lu was very soft-spoken but very involved in terms of a lot of the things that they did. But I, I will say this, if you looked at my notes from the Cleveland Cavaliers practice, I would tell you that they were pretty, pretty short. Um, and and I, again, I don't mean that to be disparaging, I just mean that the two practices I saw were this. The first practices was, was largely walkthrough, 5-on-0, some skilled station work, And then that was it. And then the second practice was largely, you know, warm up, five on O and then scrimmage. So I didn't see a lot of technical, tactical correction or coaching in those two practices. And I don't know if that's a reflection of what we see on the court, Um, you know, whereas, you know, in one practice, you know, watching Coach Van Gundy run a practice, one, two hour practice, man, my my pages of notes were just, you know, you know, I'm 10, 15 pages (laughs) in and you know, I, I my hands hurt you know, because he just well, now did you see so LeBron
0: was LeBron involved at all.
1: Okay. So that's, that's an outstanding question because he was amazing. Like everything that you would think about LeBron was true. I mean, he was a presence in everything they did. He asked questions. He wasn't, I didn't see him be in any way confrontational. I didn't see him being in any way negative to anyone. He was, he would go and ask a question or he would add an opinion or Obviously with players I would see him interact with some of the players off the court and I've got to think that again He's he's as good a coach as you can get on the floor and uh, you know You can see so many situations when he was on the floor in practice just got better because of his communication Which is the other part that um, you know I thought Milwaukee did an outstanding job and Cleveland did an outstanding job in those two practices of emphasizing communication and that's not to say the others didn't but you know, I was really watching if Giannis and and LeBron and you know some of the the stars, you know, the Dwayne Wade. He he practiced the second practice I saw in Cleveland. If those guys were engaged in practice as as communicators and leaders, and I can say it was. I mean, they were they were all very engaged, and uh, you know, it wasn't that uh, spoiled superstar type of mentality in any way.
0: Coach, this was a great conversation. Um, we can probably do this for another few hours, and you'll have to come back. We'll talk some more about other things, or maybe we'll get on the court with the video uh, camera and do some stuff there. So uh, I can't thank you enough for doing this and, and also sharing these insights. I feel like this is really revealing uh, and to a lot of people who don't know what it's like uh, on, in these NBA practices.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's long overdue and I'd love to talk more. You do such a great job sharing the game of basketball and uh, I appreciate it. And you've stimulated some of my thinking and uh, I know we'll continue to do that. And for anyone that's interested on basketball this week, I'll release a blog too, with some of those notes that I already shared with you from the practices as well. So they can see some of those notes and diagrams and different things.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks again for coming on and I appreciate being part of the conversation and well, don't forget, sports fans, at b Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, coach?
1: I'm in.